When it comes to house plants, Wendy and I have a gift for killing them. It's true. Every plant we have brought into our home in the course of our marriage before long leaves the house brown and withered. So the other night when Wendy saw an ivy that she had bought and it seemed like it was doing well, she said, wow, it's still alive. And we were both a little surprised. When you find life in a harsh environment surviving, it gets your attention. In 2019, billionaire Victor Vescovo attempted something that no one had ever done before, which was to take a manned submersible to the five deepest places in the five deepest oceans on earth. And he actually accomplished the feat. One of the reasons Vescovo said he wanted to take the limiting factor down to these deep places was to study the life that lived there. How is it that 35,000 feet below sea level that there were creatures that lived and survived in total darkness with almost no food and under an extreme amount of pressure? The fact that life lives there caused Victor to want to take a, a submarine down there to study it. Because when you find life in a harsh environment, in a place where you don't expect to find life, it causes you to take notice. Whether it's a plant in our house, or life at the bottom of the ocean, or even just a flower growing up between the cracks of a sidewalk in an urban environment, it catches our attention. It causes us to take notice of it. What's true in the physical world is true in spiritual life as well. When you see faith surviving in a difficult circumstance, when you see uh, life, spiritual life, living underneath a place that's difficult, you stop and you take notice of it. The high school uh, high school at the beginning of the school year starts to plan for a see you at the pole rally. So he goes and hands out flyers to all his classmates. And he knows that not everybody's going to show up. And he doesn't even really expect a large group to show up. But he's just hoping some people will come. But that morning he goes out to the flagpole and he stands there alone and prays. Then he goes back to his locker and he finds when he opens it that many of the people he handed flyers to apparently return them through the slats in his locker. Only they have words that they've written on them. Words like keep your religion to yourself or intolerant or even bigot. And in that moment, there's a choice that he has. Will he continue in his faith or will he take up bitterness or even leave his faith? And he chooses to redouble his efforts, to pray for every one of his classmates by name that year, to show them care and to show them love. And the question that comes is what fuels a faith like that? What causes life to exist under harsh circumstances? Every time she walks into the conference room, there's always a conversation going on. And one day she walked in and they were talking about the latest news and current stories and somehow someone brought up the topic of Christians and not in a positive light. And so she thought, well, I'm going to step into the water. And she shared that she was a Christian and thought, well, maybe this will start some dialogue. Maybe this will change some of their views about what Christians are like. But 
the exact opposite happened for her. The conversation stopped. And in fact, every time now that she walks into the room and conversation's going, it kind of stops. And she's wondering if the reason that she didn't get the promotion that she thought for sure she was gonna get had something to do with the fact that she revealed she was a Christian. And yet she continues to love her coworkers, to pray for them, to care for them. She continues to trust Jesus even in the midst of harsh circumstances. How does life survive, spiritual life, in the midst of difficult and even persecuting circumstances? What fuels a faith like that? The Apostle Paul had a short amount of time to plant a church in the city of Thessalonica. And then he had to leave and move on. And he knew that when he left, that anyone there who continued to trust Jesus was going to experience an amazing amount of persecution. If they chose to serve Jesus as king and not Caesar as king, then they would have economic impacts, they would have emotional and social and societal impacts, and it would be extremely difficult on them. And so rightly, he was concerned. And he was wondering, would their faith survive? Would life be found in a harsh environment? And so he sent Timothy to find out how is the church at Thessalonica doing and Timothy came back and he gave this great report and he said to Paul, the church is not only doing well but their faith is growing and their love for one another is growing. And so when Paul starts his second letter to the church at Thessalonica, uh, the book we have in our Bible known as 2 Thessalonians, he starts out by commenting on their faith in the midst of the persecution. And, and what we're gonna find this morning as we look at this passage is, is he tells them there's at least two good things that come out of them staying true to Jesus even in the midst of persecution. And there's also three promises that God gives to anyone who stays true to God even through persecution and hardship. And so I want us to look at that this morning. Two good things that come out of it and three promises to anyone who will stay true to Jesus through persecution. And maybe you're in that place or maybe you're not. Maybe you say, well, I'm not in a, a foreign country where I'm persecuted for my faith and, and I feel bad for people who are there, but that's not my situation. But here's what I know. If you will choose and if you choose to follow Jesus as your Lord, there's going to come a moment where your allegiance to Jesus will come into conflict with the values of the world that you live in. And in that moment, what will motivate you to stay true to Jesus? What will fuel your faith to stay faithful to God in that moment of difficulty, pain, suffering, even affliction? I think if you remember this morning, these two good things and these three promises It'll help you to stay faithful to God in that moment. The first good thing that comes out of staying true to Jesus in difficult circumstances is that it will cause other Christians to praise God. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes to them, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly 
and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul says we ought to give thanks to God for the fact that you have a faith that is surviving even through persecution. It's a form of praise. Paul's saying we praise God because of your faith through difficulty. And if you will stay true to Jesus, even through difficulty and persecution, others will praise God because of it. But the second good that comes out of it is the first good is praise to God. The second good that comes out of it is it's an encouragement to other believers. Paul says, we boast about you to all the other churches. Why would he do that? Boasting is usually looked at as as a negative thing, and it is when we're boasting about ourselves. But when we're boasting about someone else, it's a compliment. We're speaking well of them, and Paul's doing it to encourage the other churches. He's saying, look, look, the church at Thessalonica is surviving underneath harsh circumstances, and so you can too. It's an encouragement to other believers who hear about your faithfulness. Last year, when Susanna Coe came to speak to our church and share about her story about her husband, Pastor Raymond, who we've supported for many years at Mount Hope, that was abducted for serving Jesus and, and loving people. And we heard Susanna's story, how it's been three years since Pastor Raymond was abducted and she doesn't have any news and she doesn't know where he is. And at once we were heartbroken, but at the same time we were somehow encouraged that here is a woman of God who is staying faithful even through the harshest of circumstances. Here's spiritual life in a place surviving under the difficult, most difficult of circumstances. And when you stay true to Jesus through persecution, others will be encouraged from it. So two goods, praise goes to God and it's encouragement to other believers. But there's also three promises that you receive when you stay true to Jesus through persecution. And the first one is a promise of relief. A promise that the persecutions will not last forever. There will be an end to them. Let's pick it up in verse five. Paul says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Paul says, look, you may be experiencing persecution for now, but it's not forever. There is a time coming when you will have relief from it. And he says in this passage, he uses the word judgment. And he says, there's a time coming where God is gonna render a judgment. And when we think of judgment, we often think of uh, punishment and, and payment. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But we often forget that judgment, especially as the Bible talks about judgment, always has two sides to it. The one side is a judgment against, which we often think about, but there's also always a judgment for, a judgment in favor of. 
If you've ever seen those TV court shows, you know what I'm talking about. Because, you know, in my day it was Judge Wapner, now it's Judge Judy. Or, uh, you see, but it's the same thing. Because when the parties come out, they do the same thing. They interview the one who had the judgment against them, right? And how are you doing? And, and they're mad and they're upset and the judge didn't, you know, see it my way. But then the, the other party comes out. And the other party had a judgment rendered in their favor. And they are joyful. And they are happy that the judge saw it their way and they were vindicated. And when the Bible talks about judgment, it is always talking about both sides of judgment. And so Paul says, God's gonna render a judgment. And, and part of that judgment is there will be a judgment for you who are persecuted. There will be relief given to you. There will be a judgment rendered in your favor. And so the first promise is that it will not last forever. There will be a day of relief. But the second promise is that not only will there be relief, there will also be repayment to those who have persecuted you. Let's pick it up in verse six. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now let's address the elephant that just walked into the room. This is strong language. Did you catch those words? Words of punishment, vengeance, eternal destruction away from the presence of God. This is the repayment for those who, will, who stand themselves up as enemies of God and enemies of God's people and persecutors of God's people. And you say, wow, pastor, that, that language sounds really harsh. That sounds really hard. And, and, and sitting in what may be a comfortable seat for you this day, wherever you are, and, and having, eaten, having eaten a meal within the last 24 hours, and, and maybe being somewhat comfortable, this language can sound like nails on a chalkboard. But to the one who has experienced persecution, the one who has experienced affliction for their faith and their trust in Jesus. This not only is comforting, but it is also necessary. Have you ever seen a superhero movie? I, I don't know the one you've seen, but I can almost guarantee you I know how it ends. In the end, the bad guys get what's coming to them. In the end, those who have perpetrated evil receive a just punishment for what they've done. Because the director throughout, if he's done his job, has caused you to, to understand the plight of those who are persecuted and understand the evil of those who have perpetrated it. And you expect and you would be upset if at the end of that movie, those who have perpetrated evil did not get what's coming to them. And it's true in movies, but one of the reasons I think it's true in movies is because we see it in life too. There's something within us that longs for a judgment and for justice to come through. And especially in this passage, Paul's talking about for persecuted Christians. This passage is not written to the sanitized sanctuary. It's written for the suffering saint. Saint. 
And it's hard maybe if you haven't understood or experienced that to maybe understand what Paul's uh, talking about and why this justice is so necessary. Miroslav Volf is a Yale professor and a Christian theologian from Croatia. And for a long time, he says, he rejected the idea of God's wrath. He thought the idea was violent and barbaric and unloving. Then his country went through a brutal civil war. And in his 2006 book, Free of Charge, this is what he writes. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath but instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Wolf continues, Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. When we read Paul's words to the Thessalonians without an understanding of suffering, we miss the importance of justice. These words are not to the sanitized sanctuary. They're to the suffering saint. Paul ultimately trusts the vengeance to God and the Bible says that vengeance is God and he will repay. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the assurance that one day, for sure, judgment will be rendered. And Paul offers this promise. The relief will come, number one, and repayment will be made. But the question is, when does the relief come and when is the repayment offered? Paul says in this passage for us right here, says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Paul says, when Jesus comes again, this judgment will be rendered and relief will be offered and repayment will be made. When is that? Well, Paul thought it might happen in his lifetime, but he also knew it might not happen in his lifetime because other followers of Jesus had died and he had to assure the Thessalonians that they're going to be fine. It's okay that they died before Jesus came, that they're, they're going to be just fine. So he knew that it might not happen in his lifetime, but he's hoping that it would. And we're in the same situation. I hope Jesus does come and that judgment is given and justice comes and relief and repayment is given. But if it doesn't, what Paul had is what you and I have, a rock-solid hope that it will one day happen. Does this mean that you're supposed to take enjoyment out of other people's punishment and pain? That's not what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is that this is not a haphazard world of random events. 
What this passage is saying is that there is a God who when uh, persecution and perpetrators come renders a judgment and will render a judgment for and against. In this situation, for those who have persecuted Christians and for those Christians who stayed faithful during the persecution, there is a God who renders a judgment in that case. And so finally, third, there is one more promise. And this promise is the, is the best of all and the greatest of all. And the promise is that when you stay faithful to God through persecution, that Jesus is glorified and that you are glorified with him. Here's what it says in verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying is this. God promises that you will have relief. God promises that the persecutors will be repaid. But more than that, the greatest benefit for you and I for staying true to Jesus through persecution is that Jesus is glorified. Jesus is lifted up and you get to share in that glory. How's that work? Last winter, our son Isaac was in a play at school and he got a pretty prominent role in the play and he did well and he played that role really well. And we were really proud of him one thing that surprised us when we came out, uh, some of the other parents who knew we were Isaac's parents, they would come up to us and they'd say, congratulations, that was great. Congratulations, that was, that was wonderful. He was wonderful. And I thought, why are they congratulating me? I, I didn't memorize a single line. I didn't go to a single rehearsal. I, I was not on stage. But somehow, being Isaac's parents, we got lumped into his success. We got to share in his success. And I think it's kind of like that when Paul's talking about the glory of Christ. When you stay faithful to God through persecution, you somehow share in the glory that Jesus receives from it. And that's one of the greatest promises that God has for you and for me. Stay true to God. Keep life growing, even in harsh circumstances. And there's a reward. And that is that Christ Jesus will be glorified. And you get to share in that glory too. When we see life surviving in harsh circumstances, we take notice of it. It catches our attention. Earlier this week, I was talking with a friend of mine, Jason. And Jason and Holly... Are, are friends of ours, and many of you prayed for Holly's dad, Greg, when he was diagnosed with COVID-19 and really was, was on the verge of, of dying, and they thought he was going to die. And so they were preparing to take their family back to this country to be with Holly's father from, from where they serve. And before they came back, they were having a conversation with their neighbor who they've come to really know, who they've been sharing Jesus with, and who this neighbor came to know Holly's father who's made many trips and vi to visit them and, and this neighbor has come to love Holly's father and so he was sad and really heartbroken to hear that he may be dying. And so before they left, Jason and Holly had a discussion with their, with their friend and they said, look, Holly said, look, my father may die and I will be sad 
but I will continue to trust the Lord. And I know where he's going to be and it will not break me and it will not break us because we trust in the Lord and the Lord will sustain us through this and we know where he'll be and we know where we'll be with him one day. And Greg, Holly's dad, recovered and, and he, he is doing great and that's wonderful. And some people, you know, said to Jason, wow, now that, now that Greg has been healed, maybe, maybe the, your neighbor will, you know, that'll be a, something that'll draw him to Jesus, and maybe it will, but Jason's response was this. His secular neighbor will most likely attribute Greg's recovery to his access to some of the greatest medicine and doctors that this world has to offer. But if he comes to Jesus, one thing that will really speak to him is the faith of Holly who said, even if he dies, we will continue to trust the Lord. Because when you find spiritual life in a place of difficulty and harshness, it speaks to people and people take notice of it. We often give a lot of put a lot of stock in the miracles and signs and healings that draw people to Christ and that's wonderful. But we, I'm afraid we sometimes underestimate the power of a faithful life lived through persecution and difficulty. Life under harsh circumstances and the testimony that is to the people who notice it. So knowing that good comes from it, and knowing the good promises God offers you. Stay true and stay faithful to Jesus, even through persecution, and you will share in Christ's glory, and others will take notice of your life.